Welcome to the sermon podcast of Northridge Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm Betsy Sweetenberg, the pastor here, and I hope that in this podcast, you see what we seek to do week after week, approaching the stories of our faith with a holy curiosity, not shutting the book because the stories are hard or there are truths we'd rather ignore. Instead, approaching scripture, trusting that God will meet us there, full of grace and truth, teaching us something new about how we are to live in this world God so loves. Only two of our four Gospels have anything to say about how Jesus was born. Luke and Matthew were the only writers compelled to jot down any details about Jesus' birth, which might be surprising since we spend a whole season talking about his birth. And last week, we looked at the start of Luke's gospel. We we heard how that gospel writer chose to introduce the birth of Jesus by talking about the Annunciation to Zechariah, the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist. Had we kept reading in Luke's gospel, we would have gotten to the story that you probably know so well, the Annunciation to Mary, where the angel speaks and tells her of Jesus' birth. Chances are, if you were asked to share the details you know of the Christmas story, you'd be sharing details from Luke's account. It's the version we read on Christmas Eve. It's the version we teach our children. It's that version that's been turned into Christmas pageants and children's books and artwork. Matthew's Gospel gives us another take on that familiar story. If Luke's version is all about Mary, and that story is called the Annunciation of Mary, then Matthew's version should be called the Annunciation of Joseph. It's all about Joseph's role in Jesus' birth. And yet we don't spend much time talking about about Joseph, It's Mary who gets the credit. It's Mary's visitation that adorns stained glass windows and frescoes and museums the world over. It's Mary who gets songs and poems and books. As for Joseph, well, one child asked as he was setting up a nativity and got to the Joseph figure, do we really need him anyways? I understand the question. Christmas is the Mary and Jesus show, not the Mary and Joseph show. Joseph doesn't even ever speak in the Gospels. I think some Christmas pageants take pity on him, and so they imagine that it was Joseph who goes up to the innkeeper's door and knocks and asks for a place to stay. And while I have no doubt that he was kind and caring enough to do that, I'm willing to bet that it was Mary who knocked on the innkeeper's door, nine months pregnant, having been on a donkey all day, uncomfortable, tired, hot, swollen, hungry. I know nothing about this. I just imagine her making her way to the door and hoping against hope that someone would take pity on her so she could just throw her feet up and get comfortable for a minute. And then after Jesus is born, Joseph only gets one mention. 
He gets mentioned when Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple in Jesus' childhood. But otherwise, he's nowhere to be found. And yet, Matthew begins his gospel, the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, with Joseph. For him, the good news of Jesus cannot be separated from Joseph. So what are we to make of that? Before we turn to our scripture reading, let us pray. Oh God, send your spirit here. Send your spirit on these ancient words so that they might break open our hearts and teach us something new of you. And having heard your word, let us leave from this place ready to live it in this world you so love. Amen. So here now, the story of Jesus' birth as told by Matthew. This is chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother, Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they were living together, she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to divorce her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had given birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you spend time with Joseph, then you find that he is fodder for endless questions. There is so much left unsaid about Joseph's story. There's so much for us to wonder about. Like, did Jesus call Joseph dad? Should we consider Joseph more of a stepdad? Was Joseph really going to divorce Mary? And when exactly did their wedding happen? It seems confusing based on what we just read. As one of our elders asked, I wonder if when Joseph was putting Jesus in time out, Jesus ever exclaimed, you're not my real dad. Was Joseph even around during Jesus' childhood? Was he around at Jesus' death and How come Mary got invited to the wedding at Cana, but we have no idea if Joseph was there as her date? He has, he's not mentioned. Was he resentful 
of all the attention that Mary got. What was that marriage like anyways? What life had he imagined for himself prior to Mary's pregnancy? Christians have never quite known what to do with Joseph. And if you've ever watched a Christmas pageant, and you've probably seen the perfect illustration of our awkward relationship with Joseph. You know, usually Joseph doesn't even have his own hay bale to sit on. He just kind of awkwardly lingers over Mary and the baby, sometimes fiddling his thumbs because he doesn't know what to do with his hands, wondering, should I be up here? Should I be in the back with the shepherds? I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, which is... No fault of the child playing Joseph. It's because we don't know what to do with Joseph. And so we can't give a child instructions about how to play Joseph. Children are usually more excited to play shepherds or wise men because they seem like they have an important part. So maybe that child got it right when he asked, do we really need him anyways? Wouldn't the Christmas story be the same without him? Maybe we should take that question one step further and ask, did Jesus really need Joseph? Or would his life have looked the same regardless of Joseph's presence? When it comes to finding ourselves in the Christmas story, Joseph stands out to me because I think Joseph may be the one character we can get in this story. He's the one who humanizes what would otherwise easily seem like fantasy. When we think about all of the characters in the Christmas story, chances are that none of us will become parents as late in life as Zechariah and Elizabeth did. Chances are none of us will experience a virgin birth like Mary did. And seeing as how we don't have shepherds and astrologers in our midst, chances are we won't experience their place in the story either, which is not to say that we need to cast them aside. They have much to teach us. But Joseph, he's someone we can easily empathize with. A good and righteous man who finds himself in the middle of a big mess. The woman to whom he's engaged is pregnant, and he's not the father. I do wonder how many people knew Mary was pregnant. Maybe she told her mother. We know that she did tell her fiancé, Joseph. One preacher says, if Mary is blessed among women, then Joseph is humiliated among men. So here he is. A good man who has to figure out what to do with the mess. A mess he didn't make. One that he simply finds himself in. Circumstances far beyond his control. Now that is something we all know a thing or two about. At some point we all find ourselves in the midst of a mess beyond our control, wondering what in the world we're going to do about it, wondering what our faith tells us to do about it, weighing out our options, seeking advice from friends and mentors and loved ones. That's what Jesus, that's what Joseph is doing in this story at the start of Jesus's life. Now we're told that Joseph is a righteous man, 
This doesn't mean that he's perfect. It doesn't mean that he touts his religion in a holier-than-thou way, but it does mean that he takes his religion seriously, living it out every day of the week, attending the synagogue, and trying as best he can to live according to the religious laws. And it just so happens that the religious laws have something to tell him about how to handle this pregnancy, knowing that he's not the father. He has two options. The first option is to consider this a form of adultery, which would mean that there is a stoning in Mary's future. And the second and less severe option is divorce. But it would have been a messy divorce. Joseph would have to travel to the rabbi and explain why the marriage contract needed to be broken. And there was no way to do that without exposing Mary and her shame to the public. Now, I grew up in a small town, and my mom has these little hand towels that accurately quip. The best part about living in Davidson is that if you don't know what you're doing, someone else does. Now, this sentiment applies perfectly to Nazareth. It was a small town, and word would have gotten around really, really quickly about what was happening with Mary. But Joseph, he's a righteous man, and he's a kind man. And so he decides that he'll divorce her quietly and limit her shame. Don't you know that was a torturous decision for him? Surely he had to be embarrassed, humiliated, angry, but he avoids casting blame. He avoids putting Mary on trial. He avoids dragging her in front of her hometown. He's simply trying to slip away into the background, trying to get out of the picture as quietly as possible. But then Joseph has a dream, and an angel says, Consider a different way. Take Mary as your wife. This child is from the Spirit, and he'll be named Jesus. Now we have no idea how long Joseph toiled when he woke up from that dream, but we do know, for one reason or another, that he trusted the dream. And he entertained the possibility of going on with the wedding, supporting Mary as she brought a child into the world, as she brought the child into the world. Preacher Fred Craddock imagines Joseph must have woken from this dream and then shared his dilemma with friends, asking them, what should I do, what the Bible says, or should I stay with Mary? Only to find his friends telling him, Do what the Bible says, Joseph. You can't go wrong if you just do what Scripture says. Now, have you ever been offered that advice? Just to do what the Bible says? It's not the quick fix that it sounds like. And as we know, that advice wouldn't have solved Joseph's problem because he still had a choice to make. The Bible gave him two options. She could be taken out and stoned to death in front of people, Or he could divorce her and send her with her bags, packing never to return to her hometown again. Craddock praises Joseph for rising to a point that is remarkable for his day and time. 
because Joseph was a man who knew his Bible and loved his Bible. But Joseph also knew something about how to read his Bible with a certain kind of lens, the lens of the character and nature of God, God who is loving and kind. And so Joseph says, I will not harm her, abuse her, expose her, shame her, ridicule her. I will protect her. Where does it say that in the Bible? Well, it says that when we think about the nature and character of God. And so Joseph stays with Mary, and the story goes on. The interrupted wedding plans are sped up, and the Christian story proceeds, all because Joseph made a choice to go against rote laws and customs of religion, to go against advice, to do what the Bible said, choosing instead to demonstrate what he knew to be true of a loving and gracious and merciful God. We'll never know for sure. But I imagine that Joseph was around throughout Jesus' childhood, teaching him how to handle a saw, teaching him how to make a door with a working lock, how to dig a foundation, level a table, how to read and speak Hebrew. I imagine that Jesus, just like most children, was deeply formed by looking up to the example of his parents. And so we must have looked up to Joseph, a righteous and kind man. And so I can't help but wonder if Jesus and Joseph ever talked religion. Maybe Joseph shared with him the importance of religion, but noted how sometimes religious rules and customs shroud the faithful from doing the right thing. Maybe it was Joseph who taught Jesus to be thoughtful about all the religious assumptions of the culture and encouraged him to be faithful, not to religion itself, but to God encouraging him to listen to his conscience when he encountered tension between the two. That same preacher said, once we hear all the stories of the Bible, the dominant picture of God is a God of steadfast love and mercy, a God who returns again and again to his people. If in reading the Bible you find justification for abusing, humiliating, disgracing, harming, or hurting others, especially when it makes you feel better about yourself, then you've got it absolutely wrong. The Bible is always to be read in the light of the character of God. Joseph is the first person in the New Testament who learned how to read the Bible with spectacles of the grace and goodness and love of God. So for Matthew, the story of Jesus begins with reinterpreting Scripture, broadening that circle of love and mercy and grace ever wider. Could there be a better foreshadowing to Jesus' ministry than that? Maybe Matthew knew that to appreciate what Jesus was about to do for all of us, we should start with what Joseph did for Jesus. Do we even need Joseph anyhow? 
I think we need him more than ever. I think he shows us better than most the perennial task of faith, living lives that testify to the grace and mercy and justice we find in God. Did Jesus need Joseph anyhow? I think so. Don't you just wonder if it was lessons from Joseph that Jesus was remembering on the day that he walked into an, a crowd of angry, self-righteous religionists with stones in their hands ready to do what the Bible told them to, ready to exact biblical justice on a woman caught in adultery by stoning her to death? But Jesus walked up and he stopped it and he forgave her and he told the woman to live and sin no more and then he forced that crowd to look one another in the eye and remember that they too were all sinners. And don't you just wonder if it was Joseph that Jesus was remembering when he told that story one day, that unforgettable story about a father who ignores social and religious convention ignores his son's sin, a father who throws out the rule book altogether when he sees his son on the road and runs to meet him and welcome him home with a big embrace. Don't you just wonder if Jesus learned what he knew of interpreting scripture from Joseph, the man who never speaks a word, not a peep. It was St. Francis who said, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. I think Joseph was too busy preaching with his life to use words. Thanks be to God for the example Joseph set for Jesus and for each of us. Amen. Go out into God's world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all persons. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Spirit bless you and keep you this day and always, always. Amen.